Um, so I'm Sam, and the presentation I have today is cyclosporine, and we have a case of risking the kidneys to save the lungs. Um, so first I'm going to introduce a patient case. Um, I'm going to briefly review cyclosporine um, a little bit, describe the acute and chronic nephrotoxicity that can occur, then we're going to use pharmacokinetics to adjust um, the patient dose based on trough levels, which we'll go into later. And then I'm going to end with some recommendations in different patient populations. So the patient who came in is a 70-year-old male. He came in on January 16th with acute mental status um, changes. He had renal failure when he came in, and he was placed on dialysis um, during his stay, and that's actually when we started to follow him. He also had liver, liver failure with cirrhosis and ascites, hypertension, and diabetes. He got his lung transplant in May 2012, and his admission medications were atovaquone, cyclosporine, um, esomeprazole, metoclopramide, ondansetron, PRN, potassium, prednisone, rifaximin, spironolactone, camsclosin, and stomachosate. So the overview of cyclosporine, it's an immunosuppressant. How it works is um, it's used with prednisone to prevent the rejection of transplanted organs. Um, in lungs, it's not actually um, an on-label one. On-label is for um, liver, kidneys, and heart, but it can be used off-label for any organ pretty much. Um, it forms um, complexes with cyclophilin to decrease calcium signaling and calcineurin and inhibits interleukins 2, 3, and 4, colony stimulating factor, tumor necrosis factor, and the T lymphocyte cell cycle. And it actually halts the T lymphocytes in the G0 stage of the cell cycle, where it is then inactive. And cyclosporine is hepatically <coughs> metabolized, which is going to come into play later and talk about the patient case. It's mostly excreted in the feces. And initial dosing is based on body weight. There's ranges for the dosing from 10 to 18 milligrams per kilogram for the first one to two weeks, and then you adjust it based on troughs. Um, depending on the organ that is transplanted, the dose will change sometimes. 10 to 18 is like a range, but the lung study that I was, I was looking at actually is 15 milligrams per kilogram. And when it's metabolized, it is metabolized by CYP3A4, so drug interactions in other patients will also play a role in adjusting troughs, so we have to keep that in mind as well. So these are the trough goals that, um, they're pretty much the same for all transplants, but these were specific to the study I was looking at for the lungs. Um, for six to 12 months, you do 250 to 350 nanograms per milliliter, and then the trough decreases as you're titrating down. 6 to 12 months is 200 to 300 nanograms per milliliter. 12 months is 100 to 200. The duration of therapy varies depending on which study you're looking at. Most of them are around two years. Some of them plus or minus a couple months. And there are some challenges with, um, with gathering troughs. The temperature for each one degree change in temperature, there's a each one degree Celsius drop in temperature. The cyclosporine concentration can drop by 14 micrograms. Um, cyclosporine is mostly um, intracellular, so it's inside the cells. So when you're measuring, you're measuring the extracellular. 
So it's a much smaller amount of what's actually in the patient. Um, heparin, when that was used, sometimes it altered the concentrations. There were a lot of inconsistencies found when heparin um, anticoagulated blood was used. And with every trough, timing is important. You're supposed to do it after four to five half-lives, and it's supposed to be right before the next dose. And the half-life um, in, in a renal patient of cyclosporine is about 20 hours. So we use about four days for when we we're going to be gathering troughs as like a marker of when to gather them. Um, so cyclosporine nephrotoxicity has been documented as occurring in 25 to 38% of patients to receive it, which is really high. <laughs> and that it didn't give, um, whether that was acute or chronic, it just said to some degree it occurs in 25 to 38%. More specifically, it was 15 to 18% in lung transplant patients, but that could be because it's not used as often in lung transplant patients because that's not as common. So it might not, it's a smaller population that they were looking at with that. It comes in two types, acute, which is usually reversible, and chronic, which is usually irreversible. And chronic can occur in as soon as two to three months. Um, so just a little bit of an overview of the kidney, I'm sure everybody knows, but just because we're gonna be talking about it. Um, cortex is the outside, medulla's inside, you can't really see because of the arrow. And then you, in the in the kidney, there's nephrons. This one going in is the afferent arterial, which we're going to be um, talking about later. And then these are tubules. Well, these are veins and arteries, but the yellow part are the tubules. Um, so chronic nephrotoxicity, um, it's caused by tubular fibrosis. It begins in the medulla and progresses to the cortex, so it begins more on the inside and progresses outside. Um, some causes of the fibrosis are swelling, protein deposition, smooth, mu smooth muscle lesions, and even necrosis of the afferent arterial wall. There can also be tissue ischemia, atrophy, and nephron dropout when the nephron fails. Tissue scarring um, can be caused by angiotensin II, aldosterone, and TGF beta activation. And there can also be inflammation and macrophage infiltration into the tubules, and direct collagen synthesis and fibrosis of the tubule, the tubular cells. Um, I forgot to mention on the handout, there's like a diagram. It's much easier to follow than if you guys want to look at that. Um, it's just easier to put it like this on the slides, but it's easier to follow on the handout. So acute nephrotoxicity is caused by vasoconstriction of the afferent arterial to the nephron. Um, that also played a, the afferent arterial was also part of the chronic nephrotoxicity, and a lot of the same um, mediators that were in a, that were in chronic nephrotoxicity also play a role in acute nephrotoxicity. Um, so the renin aldosterone angiotensin system is activated, endothelin is released, thromboxin A2, which is the vasoconstrictor, is released, and the sympathetic nervous system is activated. All of these lead to vasoconstriction and underperfusion of the kidney. There is also impairment of the nitric oxide pathway that normally vasodilates, um, so that, and that's impaired, it's not going to be vasodilating, and there are free radicals as well that can cause damage. Now, something that was mentioned was tubular cell damage can occur directly at very high concentrations, which may 
some um, articles believe that this was a dose-dependent nephrotoxicity, but this acute nephrotoxicity can also occur at not high doses. So it's debatable whether or not it actually is dose-dependent. So now that we know about the nephrotoxicity and the possibility that it is dose-dependent, we want to adjust um, the pharmacokinetics based on trough levels. And it also helps reduce other side effects that can be from cyclosporin toxicity. <coughs> Renal failure um, itself does not alter the pharmacokinetic model and it's not removed by hemodialysis to a significant amount because it's about 90% bound and it has a large volume of distribution. So this is the form... This is the formula um, that you use to calculate the clearance, and it can be rearranged to get a formula to calculate the dose. So these levels are from the patient case that came in. When he came in, he was on 25 milligrams in the morning and 50 milligrams at night. And the trough, when we first saw him, was 254. His goal, I took the middle, was 150. So I convert this and he was given it every 12 hours. So you do the dose divided by the time, the interval, and, and we got 44.28 milligrams, so about 25 milligrams every 12 hours. Rounding up to what it's available as in an oral form, that's how we're seeking it. So that's really hard to do, complicated to remember, all that stuff. So you can um, adjust it using a nice, simple ratio. The old dose over the trough when you test when you measured it equals the new dose over the goal trough that we're looking for. So what he came in on, 75, the trough that we measured, 254. We're going to find a new dose, and this is our goal trough, and we got 44.29, very close. Um, you can see that they were very close. and. Um, and 25 every 12 hours. And a proportion like this with the uh, doses in the troughs, that can be used for drugs with linear pharmacokinetics, which makes it much easier when adjusting the doses. So these are some of the patient troughs that we had. 120 when we first uh, 120 when we first looked at him, his trough was 254, and this was the adjustment that we made from the, the math on the other slides. And then on 128, we took another trough and found that it was 365. So he was not responding how we wanted, even though we decreased the dose. So we adjusted again. And this time we used the easy method that we learned. So with the 25Q12 milligrams, this was his trough, 365. So we need a new dose, and we still want our goal to be 150. So we get 25QHS. This trough right here wasn't at steady state for the new dose. So there is a problem with that. Um, but at this time, he also decided that he wanted to go into hospice. So we stopped adjusting his doses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the patient, as I mentioned when, um, in the beginning, he had liver failure. So his liver was not metabolizing the drug, so it was accumulating. He was not a liver transplant patient. Um, candidate because of his age and multiple organ failures. Um, I mentioned that on around 1.30, he said that he wanted to go to hospice, but he's a 
really long time in figuring all that out. He actually didn't transfer until 2-7. So during that whole week, he was still getting all his doses and everything. But we just stopped trying to adjust it. And then on 2-7, he was transferred to hospice. It was all just discontinued. So in other patients, um, renal patients, dose adjustments are made on trough levels, like how we did in this patient's. In um, liver failure patients, um, you want to start at a lower dose because it's not going to be um, metabolizing and it's going to be accumulating, but again, you're going to adjust it for the troughs. In obese patients, you want to use the ideal body weight and not the actual body weight because it is lipophilic, um, so you don't want to be overdosing the patients. And with the liver and obesity, if you're overdosing them, you're putting them at risk for more side effects and more toxicity and more toxicity, which we are trying to avoid. So I'm just curious, um, which doc you talked to that agreed to adjust the cycles for? Only because <laughs> we don't do a lot of, we don't do any transplant patients here, and were they hesitant to change anything? Or well, we were working with Dr. Serda. Okay. Um, I think they were okay with it because yeah. we were on the renal consult service. Yeah. Okay. So they're like, all right, whatever you say, you do renal stuff. How long did it take to get the the levels? Is that something that we do in house, or do we mm-hmm. um, we do it in house? All of yeah, the levels were drawn the same day. Yeah, they'd be drawn in the morning, like when they do all his other blood works, and then and they come back in around seven. Other blood works came back in, and other than this one, they started drawing it at night, which was because it was being given at night. Yeah, I was just going to mention the same that. Um, I think one one of the levels that, that we yeah. drew, uh, they drew it. They didn't draw a trough. They, yeah, I think they, they drew it right it. after the dose. Yeah. So that's why it, it appeared really high. But we had to remind them to draw it right before they give the. the yeah, we put like a time in there, like draw it yeah. at this time because you give the dose at this time. <laughs> but that happened like right before he was going to hospice. So that that uh, when we recommended that other trough be drawn, and we were giving the times and everything, that never actually happened because he was going. When you adjusted the dose, you know, to try to get things in line, and yet you got a result that actually you had higher levels than you anticipated, are there any thoughts about why? Other than, like, the, the liver failure. I mean, it was drawn really early in the morning. I mean, he had gotten his dose at 5 o'clock in the morning. It was given to him usually at 9 o'clock. So that's before his dose was given. Um, but, like I was saying, it's metabolized by the liver. So his liver failed, was failing. I mean, they're taking off like nine liters of fluid when they did his parents' and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And another thing, back in his history, why was he on a tobacco? He, when he had his lung transplants, he had multiple complications with pneumonia. So they had him on that for for flaxes. Yeah. Thanks. So we don't see a lot of these babies, but we do see them, and it's usually we're just trying to continue the therapy that they're already on. So what would be your recommendation um, <laughs> when you uh, when they come in for like the pharmacy department as a whole to maybe manage this a little bit better? It's, you know, it's just one more opportunity to you know intervene on something that might not be going right, but I know we're not completely comfortable with changing. Um, so um, what would be your approach you know if we have another patient come in 
should we be doing this with all of our like with foreign patients or only if they have you know multiple organ well you'd have to know um, a couple of things you'd have to know how long you've been on it would be one important thing because that would depend on when the trough would be mm-hmm. um, and you'd have to know what the goal trough was um, and I don't know if you guys see can you see lab values in the pharmacy when you're entering orders does that mean if it's something that most, would have trough values? Most that's lab values, but, but I don't know that you can get like a, a miscellaneous value in the pharmacy system. Most of the pharmacists are living in one system and not in Soria. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't know, isn't it true that not all the values cross over? Not all the values mm-hmm. cross over, and not all pharmacists are comfortable living in two systems with both programs open at the same time. Oh. Not but, all. But that being said, it's probably like one patient every six months mm-hmm. that we see come in on cycle soaring. So opening soaring once in that time frame is an affordable idea. And I mean, I've gotten used to using Sorian and I don't like computers, so that's <laughs> <laughs> So if someone develops acute nephrotoxicity from this, um, from cyclosporin, do you automatically just stop it and try to give them another agent, or is it something where you can stop it a while and then maybe try it again? Or That would be like a risk versus benefit thing. Um, and this patient, we were actually, he'd been on it almost two years. It was pretty close. It probably could have been discontinued, um, but it would depend, like, if it's your heart, you're going to want to save your heart that was transplanted. So, yeah. It's the risk for And uh, it gets a little gray in that area because we don't do the transplants here. Mm-hmm. So somebody else is taking care of his transplant meds. He got transplanted down at Columbia University in New York. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was kind of a... We were just following it because he came in with adverse effects because of the cyclosporin yeah. sort of situation. Mm-hmm. How do you recommend determining what the goal trough was? Um, I got the... These were right from a, a long article that I was reading. Um, there's different troughs, like, based on if it's, like, with tacrolimus or everlimus. But, like, for but a patient that comes in, how would you find out? Like, somebody set a goal. How would you determine what that... Most the of the troughs are, the are right online. I guess um, where, uh, where I'm going with it is I like to contact the transplant center. Oh, or, okay. uh, um, yeah. If I can, and, and then find out, like, what are you shooting for? Um, just because you know, not knowing the patient from uh, from anyone else, then um, might as well contact those those people who are managing it, and maybe they have set some goal um, already that you can also take into account. So, um, I think I'm a little bit familiar with this guy because I happened to be working the weekend <laughs> when it was this big issue of. Nobody could find out exactly what dose he took. Nobody could even figure out which formulation he took. We didn't have either formulation in in stock here at St. Peter's. We ended up borrowing a formulation, I'm not even sure which one, um, from Albany Med. Once we were able to confirm with Columbia Memorial what it was that they were taking. So how do we how do we handle switching formulations midway through? Is there a like I did see that there was different goals for different formulations, um, but I didn't see about switching between them. I did see that there, it was different between the two. Okay, so is it like just adjusting trough? 
goals essentially. That's usually how you adjust the doses, but I think the initial dosing was different between um, the modified and the non-modified versions of the cyclosporine. The non-modified non -modified was higher than the modified for the initial dosing, but if they were both adjusted based on troughs. Okay, and so the referencing is online or? Yeah, I used the uh, micromedics. Okay. Sorry, I may have missed it. Okay. I just wanted to, I, I wasn't privy to any of this. I'm like, oh, well, we kind of just sell it. Good to know. <laughs> I like your question, Carly. And I just want to restate the answer so I have it clear. <laughs> and it, it, the answer is, the correct answer is that you can adjust between formulations and use the exact same trough goal. So the formulations can vary as far as, you know, absorption, etc. Yeah. But the same trough goal is going to exist across each formulation. So if you hear from the transplant team that our goal is, is 125, that's our trough goal, that's the way it is, we take it, that's the way we, we told you, and then we would just adjust if we had to change a patient on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's, that's what all the doctors, all the nurses want to hear is how do I deal with this? What is it that's going on with this? And if you can give them that type of sanity, then we're going to work off a trough goal. It's kind of uniform across whatever, neograph or yeah. whatever these names are. Pro mm -hmm. I, I can't even say. But <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs>